Let's turn to the book of Haggai. Um, thanks to uh, Sarah and Cody for that. So that kind of framework for Advent, you know, the first coming, life now as we anticipate the second coming, that's what this season is about for us. And uh, it's one that, that really the church calendar is supposed to help us give appropriate thought and heart and weight and everything to that. And not get caught up in everything that uh, life here kind of brings with it. Um, as I said at the beginning this morning, the backpacks went out at the, at the breakfast. Um, next, or this coming Saturday, is when we get to be a part of a Christmas party at Maison de Me. And so it's one of the best days of the year for all of us. Um, and that's something that uh, our groups have been working on and some individuals have been working on, kind of getting all that stuff together from a gift standpoint. Um, there is, uh, so there's still a few things that need to happen to make this party go down. One of them is we need to wrap everything. Now our Mason friends, I'll just pretend like you're not hearing this. All right, just... Use whatever to just kind of go to another place for a second and just think about something else. Pretend like I'm not saying all this. We've got a bunch of presents over there for all of our friends at Mason. And they're all coming in and some of you are bringing them tonight and that kind of stuff. We need to wrap them. That's happening Wednesday night in this building right next to us right here the, called the North Building. So get your compass out. Find that building. Um, at 5.30 on Wednesday, that's happening. And so we need some volunteers. I know that some of you love wrapping presents, and this would be uh, perfect, even if you don't love it. Um, so that's happening Wednesday. Uh, the party itself is Saturday, and so we need you to be there at 1045. And if there uh, is a potluck is a, you know, for lunch, and so you can, you can come wrap presents on Wednesday. You can just show up and be there on Saturday and help just make this party awesome. And you can uh, bring food for the party. If you're doing any of those things, though, we need to know about it. It would really, really, really be helpful to the point of crucial for us to know. Okay? So in the foyer out there tonight, there's some like sign-up sheet type things. If you're going to come Wednesday or come Saturday, or if you want to bring food, um, one or multiple of those things, we just really need to know. If you're going to do the potluck, we really need to know by like tomorrow. Okay? So... Um, I know that we as a church are notoriously noncommittal, all right? And it's a, I'm, I'm bad about it. Our whole church is bad about it. This is one time we can't be that way, okay? So make a commitment. Just suck it up and do it. And uh, please sign up for that. If, you, if you're, that's too much pressure for you tonight, then email the staff tomorrow and let us know. But really need to know about that stuff, okay? So that's all the Mason stuff that's happening Wednesday, Saturday. On Sunday night of next week, uh, our kids' ministry is going to come and sing some songs for us. You may remember this from last year. I was in New York City on a mission trip at the Bowery Mission, but I got a lot of text messages and videos and pictures that talked about how amazing it was. And so we've decided, hey, let's, let's do that again. So they're going to come in and be a part of that next week, which means that there will probably be some grandparents here and some aunts and uncles and some video cameras and that kind of stuff. That will be a part of our service. Um, 
and then the kids will go and do whatever they do after that, and then we'll have a we'll still have our time together a little bit, and so that'll be next Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent. The fourth Sunday of Advent, we'll do our uh, our readings and songs uh, thing where we go through the whole story and that kind of stuff. So that'll be that night, and then Christmas Eve in here. At 5 o'clock is a combined service with Grace and us. So that's kind of the way the next couple of weeks are going to, are going to roll. Um, and uh, this week with Mason is going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, so in the book of Haggai, you might be familiar with it. You might not be. Um, it may have taken you this long to find it, which is fine. Uh, fine as well. Um, it's this little book that's tucked in the back part of the Old Testament. And um, we started in the beginning... Uh, it's only two chapters long. We started in chapter one last week as a part of Advent. And um, I'm just going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. So let me give you a very brief review of what happens in chapter one. Um, the, uh, this is a, at this historical point in, in the life of the nation of Israel. They have been conquered by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. They had been brought into Babylon and they were there for like, let's say, 70 years. And then uh, through other wars and things happening, they were released and allowed to come back to Jerusalem. Uh, as a part of them being conquered, though, their temple was destroyed. And this was the temple that, that David uh, got all the materials and the money, everything together for. His son Solomon built it. And it was this magnificent palace that was as close to an earthly uh, reflection of the glory of God as you can get. We're going to come up short in, the, in like being able to truly find something that equals God's glory. But Solomon sure did try. And he had the best materials, the best craftsmen. And they built this magnificent temple. And it was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And it's where the presence of God was made manifest for the people. And it's where they could come and bring their animals for sacrifices. And, and pray their prayers. And bring their families. And this was this place, this like strategic GPS point on the map where they could, could travel to and know I'm going to go meet with God. We know he's everywhere, but he decided to make himself uniquely present uh, as far as the people's awareness uh, in this particular place. Uh, the same place where, Abra- where Abraham took Isaac and was going to sacrifice him, but then God said no. It was on the same mountain where Jerusalem is. And to, to this day, if you look at a picture of Jerusalem and you see the, the Dome of the Rock, the Gold Dome, that's, that's the place where we're talking about. This is happening. So they had returned to Jerusalem, and their goal was to rebuild the temple because nothing was more important than the temple and God's presence among them. And they started building it, and they got the foundation done, and then they got distracted, and they started kind of arguing with each other. And one thing led to another, and they just started working on their own houses there's a, a place, uh, a point in the first chapter where God says, you think it's not, you say it's not time to rebuild my house, but yet your own houses are adorned with all this external stuff. You've been focused on the wrong things. I've been trying to get your attention by, by holding back the reins, you know, and so your crops haven't really grown much, have they? But you haven't noticed it. You know, your, your livestock are not producing, you know, like they usually do, but that, you haven't been paying attention. And so God sends a word through this guy named Haggai, a prophet. And through, the, through Haggai, he speaks to the leaders, the two guys in charge, um, and then the rest of the people. And he's like, God, God wants you us to consider our ways and to get to work. Because the temple is the most important thing. 
And the people, they hear the word. There's a couple of weeks of a gap between that word coming from Haggai and then the people say, okay, let's do this. And so they get to work. And so chapter 2 picks up maybe like six, let's say five or six weeks after, after they had begun working. Okay, so here we are in chapter 2. Um, verse 1 says, In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as anything, I'm sorry, is it not as nothing in your eyes? So the word comes to the same, the same guys from chapter 1, the, the governor and the high priest, and then all the people are listening. And in verse 3, when, he, when, he, when, he's, when he's speaking to them, when he says, Who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? He's saying, okay, who, who saw it before it got destroyed? Who among us remembers Solomon's temple and how magnificent it was? So if it's been 70 years, then you're talking about people who are at, seven, at least 70 and older. And so there were probably not a lot of them because of the, just the difficulties of the time and the journey and the exile and everything. But there were probably some, some among them who were like, yeah, I remember. I was a kid, but I remember going to this place. I remember being overwhelmed with its beauty and that kind of stuff. And even the ones who hadn't seen it with their own eyes, they had heard the stories. They had heard about it. It was, it was legendary. It was just amazing. It was probably something talked about a lot during those 70 years is, I can't wait to get back and restore it. And yet this verse says, uh, how do you see it now? Verse 3, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? He's basically saying, look, you're discouraged, don't you? Because now that we're starting to build it up, now, now that we've been at this for five or six weeks, you're starting to realize, man, this is not really going to... Even come close to what Solomon did. And the implication is, and a lot of your Old Testament scholars kind of read between the lines, especially when you connect this to the book of Ezra and different things, the people were like, what's the point, man? You know, like, like they just, they knew it wasn't going to reflect God's glory as accurately. They knew it couldn't compete, you know, and that comparison had led to discouragement and being just disgruntledness among them and some wanting to give up and just various things. It slowed the work and that discouragement had deeply set into them and um, apparently their morale was very low. And so God sent a word to them through Haggai and this is what he says. Look at verse 4. It says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. <laughs> that's good, right? I mean, that's like, like this prophet who speaks from God. He's like, hey, guys, I got a word. You, be strong. You, be strong. Every one of you. Be strong. The Lord is in our midst. Don't be afraid. I just, I cannot imagine what that must be like. To have a strong word like that brought to the people. 
And all of it centering around what? His covenant with them. Look, uh, look at verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came up out of Egypt, my spirit remains with you, fear not. That this covenant-keeping, faithful God was not giving up on them. That their discouragement and their frustration and all that stuff that had like, caused their morale to just drop and whatever... He was like, no, 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 not my people, not my temple. I haven't abandoned my covenant, so you should not abandon the covenant. You be strong because I'm strong. You don't be afraid because I'm with you. The verse says, my spirit is in your midst. It's capital S, spirit. God's like, I'm literally here with you. And that points to this, this fact tying into last week, that God's presence with his people, I mean, that is his heartbeat. That is his desire that's why he wanted the temple rebuilt, because they, they were distracted by other things. But when you went to the temple, you weren't distracted by other stuff. You were focused. You knew. So God goes to great lengths to let his people know that he's with them. Even down to speaking through a prophet, reminding them of this covenant. And so as strong as that is, that's really not what we're chasing after today. Maybe it's good for you and edifying for you, but I want to keep going because this next part, this is the thing, this is what chased me, like I was chasing into the book of Haggai in the first place, is the next couple of verses. Um, Verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house, this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So he's saying, look, everything out there is mine, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake the nations, and I'm going to shake all of creation, and I'm going to bring everything in here that's needed. And this temple is going to be even greater than the other one. That this second temple is going to surpass even Solomon's temple in terms of glory and peace. When we hear glory, we need to think like the presence of God being manifest, and you're just like, whoa. That glory and peace. And so what, what, okay, what does all this kind of mean? Well, what brought me in here into this verse was uh, I was thinking about the, the song that we sang at the beginning. That there's a line in the song that calls Jesus the desire of, of the nations. The dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. There's a song, famous one, that we used to sing a lot that has desired nations in there. And I was thinking about that phrase a lot, especially considering how insane our world is right now. You know, in the last couple of weeks, you know, watching the reports of, of Paris, but also Beirut, right? And also in Chad today, there was like a big like suicide bomber killed a bunch of people. And then there's the shooting in California. And there's, this, you know, there's stuff locally. There's stuff everywhere. And then thinking about the nations and all the tensions that exist in our world, I've just been thinking about that line in those songs of the desire of the nations, and I started to wonder, is that in the Bible? 
You ever do that? You ever wonder if that's in the Bible and you Google it and you're like, nope, not in the Bible. Well, this, this brought me to this verse in verse 7. It says, I'll shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. I'm like, well, that doesn't say desire of nations. That says the treasure of the nations. Now, apparently, there's some debate. And isn't it fun when you go to the Bible over something and you find, you're planning, you, like, in an instant, all of my, my whole Advent sermon series fell into place before I did that Google search, and then I Googled it and it all fell apart. And I was like, oh, that's not in the Bible, that's just the, in the songs, you know, and everything I saw was like, the King James Version has this, and um, no disrespect to King James, but that's not a very reliable translation of the Bible, and so I started to look uh, there's some cool websites that allow you to like look at a bunch of translations side by side. Let me, let me read the different versions of that phrase in different translations. King James says, The desire of all nations shall come. That's where the, the long-expected Jesus hymn comes from. Uh, New King James says, they shall, they shall come to the desire of all nations. And it's capitalized. De- desire is capitalized. And nations is capitalized. It's like a title. Jesus is, is the desire of all nations. I was like, well, that's interesting. Then New American Standard says, they will come with the wealth of all nations. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> there it goes. He's just talking about money. That He's like, hey, I'm going to get money from all the nations and bring it in to fund the building of the temple. I'm like, well, eh, okay. New NIV says, uh, what is desired by all nations will come. What is desired by all nations. So there's a little bit of... Like, okay, desire, okay, that's kind of in there. Holman Christian Standard says the treasures of all nations will come. That seems kind of like money. The message says that the godless nations will bring bushels of wealth. I love the message, man. It's awesome. Bushels of wealth. Like, what's a bushel? I'm Southern. I should know what a bushel is. I don't really know. But apparently it's a lot. And so I was just trying to think. I was like, man, what is the... What's the deal? And so the more research I did, apparently there are two camps of thinking about this part of Haggai. And I promise you I'm making a point. One camp thinks ex- exactly that. that this is this immediate, um, immediate... God's saying, I'm going to meet this immediate need. He's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to shake the, the nations and the heavens and all of creation. I'm going to bring everything that, that falls down into this place to fund the work that you're putting your hands to. That they were discouraged because they didn't have the money that Solomon had. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the craftsmen. They didn't have the materials. And God's saying, I'm going to shake the nations. And all that stuff is going to come in. And you're going to have everything that you need to build it. And it's going to be amazing. There's one camp, and that's what they think. And so if you think of it, like, you ever heard people say, like, uh, trying to figure something out? I've never heard this in real life, only on, like, TV. But they'll say, I'm not really sure. Let me go shake some trees and see what I can find out. What does that even mean? I started thinking about it. Like, if you walk up to an orange tree and you start shaking it, and it's got oranges on it, what's going to happen? They're going to fall on you. So I'm going to shake the nations, right? And everything that falls down, all the money, all the resources, all the treasures, all the wealth, all of that is going to come into this place and fund it, and it's going to get built. You don't need to worry about it because, verse 8, all the, all the gold is mine, all the silver is mine, it's all mine. I'm at work in something greater. This temple is going to be greater than the last one. You just need to trust it's going to be greater. So there are, is a camp that thinks that this is just about the immediate like prophetic word to encourage them. This is going to get built and it's going to be amazing. Keep going. And in Ezra 6 and Ezra 7, we see other nations, their money and their resources come in to build the thing. Like this happens, you know. 
Then there's another camp of people, which is the camp I was going to at first before I got diverted to the other camp. This other camp thinks that this is a messianic prophetic word about Jesus who is coming. That the desire of nations, that the treasure of nations, that the wealth of nations is the fact that Jesus is going to be a part of this temple. That God's going to shake up the nations and bring them all to this temple. And this temple will be blessed and different than the other one because the other one didn't have the Messiah walking around in it. That camp puts capital D on desire of the nations. It gives him a title that he is the treasure. He is the wealth of the nations of the entire world. So let me, let me add, add some information to this that might be helpful. I mean, don't turn to this. Just listen. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This dude was in the middle of Advent. He was waiting for Israel's strength and consolation. He was waiting for the Messiah. He's doing what we're doing. He is the picture of Advent in a lot of ways for us. He was in the temple waiting for Advent, uh, for the coming of the Messiah. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, um, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now let's think about this for a second, okay? Here's a faithful uh, Jewish man, adventing, waiting, expecting, praying for the Messiah. He's in the temple. He's holding Jesus, the baby, in this temple that Haggai is trying to push the people to build. He's, they're in it. Okay? And this is his prayer. Verse 29. Took him in his arms and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. That last verse, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, okay, that's non-Jewish people, and for glory to your people Israel. He says, I can die in peace because now I've seen your glory. And what did Haggai 2.9 uh, yeah, say? That through this second temple, the glory of the Lord would be Evident, it would be greater than the first one, and that he would bring peace to everyone. So here's this, this let's say, let's say he, he's this older man who's been waiting and waiting and waiting, and he's holding the Messiah, and he says, I can die now, because I've seen peace, and I've seen your glory, just like you promised. And this peace and this glory will be for every nation, Gentiles and Jews, all of us together. That here God is bringing the nations to the temple. He's bringing the nations together for the Messiah. And then if we jump to Revelation 22, in the beginning of the chapter, um, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
through the middle of the street of the city, uh, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. That we jump forward to, like, the second advent of Christ has come, and this new earth is there, and it's being realized, and it's, there's this tree, the tree of life, right? For like, in, I would assume, like, from Genesis, right? Same tree. Bearing fruit, 12 different kinds of fruit. And the leaves are there for the healing of the nations. He's, he's the desire of the nations. This is messianic back in Haggai, right? This is, so is it at one camp or is it the other camp? You know? Is this just for immediately, like, hey, we're going to get the temple built and it's going to be awesome, just relax? Or is it uh, Jesus is coming to this temple and all the nations are going to be united? And I just kind of think it's maybe both. You know? Apparently, no disrespect, but Hebrew nerds apparently argue about this stuff. And I'm just like, couldn't it be both? Doesn't Jesus say that our hearts and our money kind of are, are tied together in a really unique way? Like maybe, maybe it's both. Maybe it's prophecy saying, hey, I'm going to get this temple built and I'm going to shake the nations and I'm going to bring their money and their resources in. And they don't even know it, but through their money and their resources, they're going to find out what I'm really like. They're going to invest in this place. And this place, this GPS point on the planet is going to be maybe controversial, but sacred and holy, and this is where the nations are going to be healed. So, is it one or the other? I, I think it's both. And here's the bottom line for this sermon. Jesus came for the nations. He came for all the nations. He came for all the people. Could he have given all of the silver and gold to his people to build a temple themselves? Sure. But Solomon drew from the, the resources and craftsmen and everything from around all the surrounding nations. And God's doing the same thing here. There seems to be something unique that's going on. Israel is strategically placed on a map where all the trade routes of, ancient, of the ancient times like, passed through there. And so like, Israel was constantly having people of other beliefs and other kinds of skin color and all these kind of things coming through their nation. They were supposed to be this place of intense hospitality and grace and kindness. And people were supposed to leave Israel thinking like, man, that Yahweh that they pray to and talk about is legitimately different than this statue that we worship or this star that we pray to. He's all about the nations. And what pushed me to, to this idea for Advent for us is, yeah, looking at the Christian response to how crazy the world gets. Yeah, it burdens me. It burdens me. It burdens you too. I know it does. I know that we're sitting around and we're talking about ISIS and radical Islam and all this kind of stuff. And we're watching these reports and there's just so much fear and so much anxiety and so much that's there that can distract us away from what's most important. I don't doubt that in the book of Haggai, those people who were distracted, it was not just trying to make their houses look pretty. I think they were trying, they were distracted by just all kinds of things that were there. And probably fear was a big part of it. Maybe that's why God told them not to be afraid. And so as far as Jesus coming for the nations, the big idea in my head is just a reminder that he didn't just come for this nation. 
You're probably like, well, yeah, we know that. No, but seriously, think about it. Do you regularly think that Jesus came for um, North Koreans? Do you regularly think that Jesus came for people in Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Somalia and Egypt and Syria and Lebanon and all these places? Do you think that the very enemies of Israel, you think Jesus came for the nations? you think he wants those people on the new earth around the tree of life with all its fruit and all the healing of the nations that happens there? Do you think that Jesus just came for us? And I don't think that there's probably too many of us in here that would say, like, no, he didn't come for them. He just came for us, us Americans, yeah. I don't think that's what we really think, but... I think the danger becomes that our faith becomes so individualized that it's toxic. You know, that our songs are about, he saved me, he saved us, like in, the, in this room. It's like, yay. And that's awesome. I'm not saying that it shouldn't, we shouldn't celebrate individually or as a family. That's amazing, but... I think, we're, we, I think we toe the line of, of that being, we, of us getting dangerously close to that just being enough, you know, because of the, because the world is hard outside, you know, it's difficult, it's just, it's brutal, it's, I don't know, and so it's easier to just kind of like, well, I don't know how to feel about all that stuff, so I'm just going to let God deal with all those things, and I'm just going to kind of be happy here in this little world, and I think that Jesus would have us know that it has to be both. We have to fully celebrate our individual salvation and the salvation of our like faith family and also desire the salvation of everyone, everywhere else, all the way down to people we would label as an enemy, you know, or against us, or whatever the case may be. Because we know that sin broke the world, right? We talk about that a lot. Sin broke the world, so he broke our relationship. Like sin broke our relationship with God and our relationships with each other, our relationships even internally with ourselves and and our relationship to creation around us. And so Jesus has come to reconcile and restore those things. And so in this process of restoration and reconciliation, right now it seems in some ways that maybe the tensions have never been higher between like people over race or gender or politics or religion or rights, you know, and those kind of things. All these issues that are there. Social media sure helps a lot, doesn't it? You know, it just brings people together in such beautiful way. No, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Like, I think we're going to be on the New Earth and be like, where's Zuckerberg? i got to find that dude. <laughs> I seriously think it's going to be, we're going to look back and think that was one of the worst things that's ever happened to us. It's Facebook. And I, I don't know, I'm not being ridiculous. I'm obviously very passionate about this. I think it is. I think that there are all these problems, and instead of of us being like working towards restoration, reconciliation, first to God and then to other people, I think I think it's getting worse, and it burdens me. It burdens me. If Jesus came for the nations, then Jesus came for the nations. If He's the desire of the nations, then He's the desire of the nations. And if God's plan is for all of the nations to find the glory of God and therefore peace through Him, then that is, that is us. That's our agenda. 
before we are anything else, that is what we are in terms of how are we going to interpret this world that's going on around us. So with so much that we don't know, it's important to focus on what we do know. That God is about the healing of the nations. That's what the new earth is going to look like. And when Jesus tells us to pray on earth as it is in heaven, he's saying, hey, whatever that like, future reality is in your mind in terms of what heaven's going to be and whatever is described in the book of Revelation, you drag that into your future and you make it happen. That's how we are to pray and to live and to be. And during Advent, we are trying to find places where things on earth are not as they are in heaven and how can we make a difference. So we get backpacks together and hoodies and that kind of stuff. And a very faithful group of people get together and pack those things and bring them out there and hand them out. Because we want it to be on earth as it is in heaven. And we see that it's not, and so we want to do something about it. That's why we throw parties for friends of ours uh, next weekend. That's why we take an offering for Hope of Life, who are in the middle of a city where on earth as it is in heaven is not happening. On mass scale. And so here's this little group of people and a bunch of little groups of people that are trying to make an impact there on earth as it is in heaven. Because Jesus died for the nations. So part of Advent as we wait and long for his return is syncing up with his desire for all of mankind. I want to run very quickly through a couple of things. And this is just, this is just, this is Josh, your, like, your fellow, like, member of this family. All right? This is a little, a little pastoral time, okay? Let me tell you some things that I regularly, like, literally regularly have to, like, coach myself through. That all come from Scripture, but I'm not going to throw a bunch of verses at you. So just either ask me later or just trust me that this stuff is in the Bible. Um, Here's some things that I have to run through my brain. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them, but I'm going to go fast. One of them is that the real problem we're dealing with is sin. I have to remind myself constantly that, that that's really where all this comes from. Which is not to say that we don't engage in debates and discussions and fight for issues and for justice. We don't just like chalk everything up you know, and say, like, well, we probably, why even bother with human trafficking? It's, just, it's a sin issue anyway. It's like, no, it can be a sin issue and we can work against it. That, the, both of those things can happen. But for me, it's important to remember that the root issue here is where sin broke the world and not certain people and certain issues. Um, it's very dangerous when people become the problem. Sin has to be the problem. Jesus is the solution. And then we have to work within the context of that whole discussion to, towards solutions. But we can't forget where this all went wrong. The second thing, Jesus overcame sin so he can overcome this. Whatever this is, you know. He can fix it. He can do it. He really can. He's already covered those things. He's already overcome it. And so there is nothing that you and I are praying about that is hopeless. I can get super hopeless about ISIS. Like, I can get really like, man, this is it, you know, very quickly if I watch the news too long. Or I talk to certain people for too long. And not only that, but then when you start talking about, like, other parts of the fall, you talk about disease, you talk about uh, greed and all these injustices. Like, God, Jesus can overcome all that. He can overcome it. He can overcome it. So that hope that we sang about in that second song, that's a very important thing. He overcame sin, so he can overcome this, whatever this is. The third thing, I'm not more valuable to God than another person. I'm not more valuable to him than than someone else is. 
We talk a lot about being made in the image of God, and um, that's you know pretty common thing around here. But we can't throw it out the window, you know, when something happens. Just because something, uh, just because you don't really line up with, that doesn't line up with how you feel about a certain turn of events. That God doesn't look at me and say, oh, look, Josh, my precious one. Look at these other people. Like, eh, I don't know, JV, <laughs> varsity. That I am, he does not value me more than another person on this entire planet. No matter, no matter what. He also doesn't value me less, but that's a different sermon. That I'm not more valuable than a terrorist, than a human trafficker, than a murderer, than a whatever. You, you name it. Anyone that I tend to marginalize in that kind of way, I'm not more valuable than they are to my Savior. Because Jesus came for the nations, right? The next thing, Jesus' blood can cover my worst and anyone else's worst. A kingdom prayer is praying for the salvation of your enemy. That's a, that's a kingdom prayer. Jesus saved his enemies, right? Show of hands, right? He saved his enemies. He literally saved his enemies. And so his blood can cover my worst and can cover anyone else's worst. So we can't put anyone or whatever in a category of whatever. Next thing, Jesus desires, and I just have a blank, to know him. You can fill in the blank with whatever kind of person that you tend to make an exception. A kind of person, a specific person, Put their name in that blank and say that sentence. Jesus desires this person to know him. Jesus desired Osama bin Laden to know him. He desired Adolf Hitler to know him. Adolf Hitler killed, like, how many? A lot. Of who? God's people. And yet Jesus' desire was for Adolf Hitler to be standing around the tree of life, part of the healing of the nations. That's his desire. Is that going to happen? I don't know. It's up to Jesus, right? But that's his desire. So Jesus desires everyone to know him. And if I truly want to follow my rabbi, I've got to get on board with that. If I really want to be just like my rabbi, I've got to get on board with that. The next one. My faith is not for me and mine, it's for everyone. It's not just for me and then like us in this room and then everyone else, well, whatever, you know. It's for me and it's for mine. You guys are mine, right? We're each other's. But it's for everyone also. And in an age where our self-centeredness can even reach into our faith, we, we cannot... Forget that God has not, that God has freely given His goodness to us. That God has not kept His goodness and His grace to Himself. He has shared it freely. And so, you know, we, we sing a lot of songs that are very personal, which is great. And we sing some that are corporate other, for other Christians, which is also great. 
There aren't a lot of songs, though, in the catalog that are just about, like, the heathen, right? Like, the, those who, like, do not, have never heard, they just don't know. And so we cannot be the kind of followers of Jesus who are just like, well, at least I'm in. At least we're in, right? That's not how God was to us, and to be just like him is to not be that way either. Here's the last one, and then we'll be done. Heaven will be filled with people who shouldn't be there. I have to remind myself of that a lot. That literally no one other than Jesus should actually be there. No other human should be there, but it's going to be packed. Packed with people who shouldn't be there, but they are because of our gracious God. Because Jesus came for the nations. And so as we celebrate our Messiah's arrival and his arrival to come, and here we are in the middle of those two things, and we're declaring our, our freedom and our redemption, and those things are so great, and we're doing so as a church family, and those things are great. That we also hold in tension the fact there are a lot of people who don't know that. You know? They, they don't know that Jesus has come for them. They don't know that Haggai gave a word to these guys and their people to be strong and keep working because he was with them and not be afraid. And that this temple was going to be greater than the other one because Jesus himself was going to be in it. And Jesus being on the earth was going to bring all of the nations together and heal them. And his church being grafted in with him becomes a part of that same thing. That our heartbeat, our desire is to be on that new earth with all kinds of people. And so whether it's race or gender or religion or um, sins that people have made or different beliefs or different politics or different whatevers that have happened, our desire should be for all to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus because that's our rabbi's desire. It's his. And so does this right here, does this solve? And Okay, now I know how to feel about Syrian refugees. Well, probably doesn't answer all the questions, does it? However, those kinds of issues have to be looked at through a lens of the kingdom of God. They have to. This summer, I've talked about this before, I was, there was a missionary who was talking about He said, watch the Middle East and watch Islam destroy itself and push all these people out of their nations and drive them into nations with missionaries and churches waiting for them to care for them and give them Jesus. That's what's happening. I I blew my mind. I'd never thought about that before. Because Jesus came for the nations. He's strategic and he's at work. And so this has to be part of how we not only think about the world and current events, and as things unfold, this has got to be a way that, some ways that we think, this is Advent for us. This is what it's about. It's this tension of, like, would you hurry up and come back? But in, until then, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to beg, and I'm going to witness, and I'm going to care for people, and I'm going to love them. And on earth as it is in heaven, it's not just going to be a part of a prayer that we repeat mindlessly. It's going to be, like, legitimately how we learn to live. So, I don't know if I've made a lick of sense, but what else is new, right? However, 
I do know that from the outset of Advent, this idea of pushing away from, from our faith being strictly personal and for it to being both personal and corporate and, and like to the nations, that has been heavy with me before Paris, you know, before the shooting in California, before all this, I don't know, whatever. And so whatever God has for us, that's what he has for us. And so, um, yeah. So we're going to sing a little bit, and I'm going to set that up in just a second. But let's all stand together as the band comes back. God, I am uh, I'm very grateful uh, grateful to be in this room with these people. And I'm certainly uh, eternally grateful for my salvation that you have graciously uh, brought to me and for those in this room as well. I'm thankful, God, that, uh, that we can live in a family that you have brought us from being enemies and orphans into your family with new names and new identities. And I'm just so thankful, God. And certainly not trying to lessen the value of individual or corporate faith. But God, I don't want to be a follower of you who just ignores the nations. Because you don't ignore them. You came to save them just like you came to save any of us us in this room. And uh, I just need your help, God. And those points I went through, those are are things that I regularly have to coach myself through. I'm not very faithful to do it sometimes. And I hope that that's maybe been helpful, but um, we'll just really bring ourselves to a point of an uh, advent where we just don't want to put our heads in the sand. We acknowledge our world is just crazy. We do. And you know that, and we, just, we, we need your help in it at all times. But would you help us to think about current events and other people and what's going on? Would you help us to think correctly? I mean, we want to think like you do about terrorism and about violence and about politics and about the sanctity of life and about other people and people's mistakes. And we just want to get on board with you and just ask for your help. Love you, and we pray this in your name, Amen. Um, so, I, I want us to do something a little bit, just a little bit, maybe outside of the box for what we typically do. And so, if you're here for the first time, this this ain't normal, normal, okay? I'm not gonna ask you to do anything like move around or do anything like that. I just want you to think a little bit differently as we're singing. All right, um, we're gonna sing Revelation song, which is you know some of you know that, and the the words come right out of the book of Revelation, and this is a this is like this is going to be happening in heaven. Like these are things that are being sung about that God has shown us. Like, hey, this is really going to be like proclaimed by. And uh, the, the Revelation is kind of a weird book, you know. It's fine, but it'll be proclaimed, and like there's just uh, times where it's like the masses are just singing this thing over and over and over again, and this song comes from that.
And so I would like for us to, as we sing it, to not think about like you being in heaven and not think about like us being like, hey, let's all pile up, make a big ring, ring, you know, and let's all sing this together. Like, I want you to think about you're standing in heaven and you're looking around and there's all kind of faces that don't look like yours that are there. I don't know that we'll have skin color. Let's just imagine like all kind of different skin colors, right? And there's men and there's women. Let's imagine that there are people who are there and they're like, how in the world did I get here? You know, there are people who are there who are like, ah, Jesus, that's his name. I knew, I knew someone like made all this, you know, the sun going up and down, you know, somebody else did that. I just didn't know his name was Jesus. That's awesome. Someone's like, oh, that, that book, the book, I could remember the book. This is the one they talk about in the book. Got it. The people who will be there from the nations, the people that will gather around this tree and be like, man, we need to heal. We need to say, hey, I'm sorry that our people were like attacking your people. That was crazy, wasn't it? Like, yeah, it was crazy. To think about these things being proclaimed by all kinds of voices from all kinds of places all throughout history. That's what's ahead of us. And on earth as it is in heaven, I think it'd just be beneficial for us to think about it now. And so I'm going to read something from Revelation. We're going to sing this song, and then I'm going to, I'm going to be back out there on that mic, and so you don't need to try and find me. I'm just going to maybe guide us through a couple of things to pray for, and then we'll do one last song before Taylor comes. Let me read this. Um, just listen to it. This is in Revelation 4. No, let's do 5. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, and for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked and heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The elders said amen and fell down and worshiped. So let's get into that mindset and let's just sing this song. And we'll pray a little bit. We'll sing some more. And it'll be done.